Hey, thanks for checking out this episode of the Screen Facts with Jason Davis podcast. Every Wednesday, my guests and I talk about a movie we've enjoyed. We throw in some fun trivia facts about the film for you during the conversation. Please like us at facebook.com slash screenfacts. Post your comments or questions. You can also tweet me at Jason Davis Voice or email screenfacts at yahoo.com. Joining me on the podcast this week, my good pal, my brother from another mother, the one and only Tim Donnelly. What's up? <laughs> What's up, my brother? How you doing, man? Good. Great to have you again. Great to be back once again. Yes, sir. So uh, we are going to discuss a classic 1980s film today. <laughs> we are indeed. It is the film that everybody's got on the tip of their tongue these days, not because of the classic, but because of the remake. Yes. Ghostbusters. Now, before we jump in and talk about the original Ghostbusters, we just came a couple of hours ago from the remake. We're not going to get into great detail about the remake. I enjoyed it. There was funny stuff in it. I'm a big fan of Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon, Leslie Jones. They're all great. One of the things I did enjoy about the movie was that it really shows how empowered these women are. They really kick ass in the movie. I would tell people, form your own opinion. Go see the new Ghostbusters. Yeah, if, go if for, for no it. Other, honestly, for no other reason, support a, an all-female cast. Yeah. I know that sounds like a, a lame reason to do something, but there's so much shit that gets made in Hollywood these days. The four female leads, really I, good I think they're great. I I always think Melissa McCarthy is funny, and I'm a, I'm a huge Saturday Night Live fan. So Me too. I love uh, Kate McKinnon, Kristen Wiig, and Leslie Jones. Uh, the female leads are great. Fantastic. I agree. And I feel like you got to support stuff like this because you want Hollywood to start making more movies with strong female lead characters that don't just talk about men the whole time. Right. You know, like stupid, for lack of a better term, chick flicks. Right. So that's enough about the new Ghostbusters movie. Done. Because we are here to talk about Ghostbusters. The the classic classic original. Released June 8th, 1984. Of course, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Ernie Hudson, Sigourney Weaver, Annie Potts, and Rick Moranis are your stars. Directed by Ivan Reitman, who is a genius. Written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. And all of the uh, the people that you just mentioned, with the exception of uh, Rick Moranis, mm-hmm. they all, in some ways, even the late, great Harold Ramis, they all have cameos in the new Ghostbusters. William Atherton, who plays Walter Peck in the original, is not in this new movie either. There's a, a story, uh, I think uh, they tell it on the uh, the DVD commentary to Ghostbusters. Uh, it was Harold Ramis or Ivan Reitman said William Atherton was legitimately pissed and upset with them. Yeah. Because people were like picking fights with him and he said something about a busload of of people or it might even have been school kids was driving by and they saw him and they all went, hey, dickless. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. (laughs) And it's funny because, you know, he made kind of his whole career out of playing that sort of character. Right. And you're a big fan of Real Genius. Yeah, Real Genius. He plays uh, Professor Hathaway in that. And it's a similar character. And, of course, uh, the reporter in the, the Die Hard jerk movies. reporter in, uh, in Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, you and I have previously done a, a podcast about Die Hard. There's a double Die Hard connection in Ghostbusters. Not only William Atherton, of course, playing Walter Peck, and he plays the reporter in Die Hard. But if you look closely, after the Ghostbusters headquarters has blown up and they've been arrested and they're waiting in jail, the cop who comes to get them says, hey, Ghostbusters, mayor wants to see you guys, is none other than, I believe, in his first movie role could be Reginald Vell Johnson who would later go on to fame as uh, Sergeant Al Powell in Die Hard yep very very cool so Ghostbusters received Oscar nominations for best visual effects and best original song for Ray Parker Jr.'s theme 
The song was also nominated for a Golden Globe, as was the movie and Bill Murray's performance. A TV commercial for a drain company was the inspiration for the Who You Gonna Call hook from the theme song. No kidding. Yeah, uh, Ray Parker Jr. wrote the theme song at like 4.30 in the morning after almost two days of trying. He saw the commercial, and it reminded him of the scene in the movie where they, they're doing their own commercial. Right. We're ready to believe you. Right. You, know, you ever really... been warned by strange noises in the middle of the night? You ever heard it is a spook, specter, or ghost? If the answer to all these questions suggests that don't wait another minute. Call the Paralysis and Elimination Professionals Ghostbusters. Which is really funny. So yeah, he kind of saw that as a sort of a parallel thing to the drain company. Right. And that kind of helped him come up with the, the concept for the song. Uh, there's another cool song in the movie, too. Yeah. And another a future musical connection mm -hmm. the song uh cleaning up the town when the ghostbusters really get on a roll and like there's, there's i think it's like two things in the movie first when they're uh running out of the library right and then when they're speeding out of the headquarters in the hearse right at some point it's playing too the song is cleaning up and the it town. might even be part of the end credits too i believe you are correct sir yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So very cleaning good. up the town. Yeah. So it's a recurring uh, theme and motif in the movie. In the 1993 Harold Ramis directed Bill, Bill Murray, Murray starring, movie starring yeah. movie Groundhog Day. That's the song that Bill Murray plays on the piano in the yeah, bar when, he, when he's you know <laughs> when he keeps repeating right. the day and, and, and he keeps in his coming up with his sixty third life. He, he plays yeah. that on the piano. I never caught that before, but that's very very cool. Yeah, and, good uh, stuff. Another big movie hit for the Bus Boys who, of course, did the theme to 48 Hours. Yeah, the boys, boys are, back, boys in are back in town. And they opened for Eddie Murphy in his now iconic comedy special, Delirious. Yep. Yeah, you know, big round of applause for the Bus Boys. <laughs> the Bus Boys come to my house, the fish stops swimming. <laughs> <laughs> so the budget for Ghostbusters, $30 million. Uh, lifetime domestic gross of $242.2 million. Mm -hmm. Worldwide, $295.2 million. This is Columbia Pictures' highest grossing film of all time when adjusted for inflation. Not surprising. Right. Now, this was the highest grossing PG-rated film of 1984. Right. The only movie that made more money than this in 1984 was a little movie called Beverly Hills Beverly Cop. Beverly Hills Cop. I remember how huge that movie was. Yeah, and that also has been discussed on this podcast. Go check for that episode, by <laughs> right, the way. Right, right. The highest grossing PG-rated movie of 1984. In the scene when you first see Dr. Venkman, he's in the office kind of giving that shock test to the yes, male and the female yes. student. The camera pans in on the door to their office and it says, Venkman burn in hell. Yes. Somebody wrote graffiti like that yeah. on the door. And according to Ivan Reitman, originally that was supposed to be much more obscene and sexually explicit graffiti <laughs> okay. written on the door. But Ivan Reitman always pictured this film as something that parents could take their kids to. Okay. He saw the benefit in that, not just politically, but economically. Right. And so I Smart. think the, the PG rating perhaps contributed to the large uh, take at the box office. Yeah, and the new movie is PG-13 for what right. that's worth. So, right. you know, they're clearly trying to play to as wide of audience as possible. Sure, sure. So, yeah, the original movie was going to be totally different. It had three main characters, mm -hmm. originally written... For John Belushi yeah. to play Peter Venkman. Right. Dan Aykroyd, of course, would be the same character. And Eddie Murphy. And speaking of Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> right. And that's why it's kind of interesting that Eddie Murphy's Beverly Hills Cop beat this out at the box office that right, year. Because right. he was originally being talked about being in this movie. Right. And if Eddie Murphy was in the movie, Winston Zedmore's part would have been much bigger. Right. He probably would have been in the movie from the very beginning. Yeah. In fact, I read something about Ernie Hudson being a little disappointed with how small the role became. Because he had probably seen an original script that had the Winston character... A bigger part, right. With a bigger part, exactly. Right. John Candy was also supposed to be in the original uh, movie. Supposed to play Rick Moranis, right? Yes. Yeah. He was supposed to be Louis, Louis Tully. Tully. yeah. Yeah. 
But he had ideas for the character that didn't jive with the rest of the crew. Yeah, and stuff. they said like he came in one day and thought, "Well, what if I did it with a German accent?" Yeah, and they were like, "John, thing. what the hell are you doing?" That's uh, yeah. He didn't he didn't quite get what the role of Lewis Tully was supposed to be, so he backed out, much to the delight of Rick Moranis, right. who was kind of chomping at the bit, who he really wanted this part. But Candy was one of many stars that made a cameo in the music video. Right, he's in the video very yeah. quickly. One of the greatest things about this movie for me is Bill Murray. He improvises most of his lines in this movie. Yeah. Most of the dialogue from start to finish is not in the finished script. The whole thing wasn't improvised, but most of what's in the script doesn't really make it to the film. Right. Yeah. It's really funny. And I know the scene where uh, they're in the library and the bookcase falls down. Yeah. That wasn't supposed to happen. Right. That wasn't supposed to fall, and when it fell, that reaction is yeah. genuine. I think that was a last-minute addition, the um, the asymmetrical book stacking. Yeah. That was kind of a... <laughs> no humans would came, stack no, books like you're this. You're right, no human being would ever stack books like this. <laughs> uh, that was kind of a last-minute addition. And uh, speaking of the New York Public Library, I had read that it was a, a big challenge to film in there. The exterior with the the, uh, the two lions, that's definitely the New York Public Library exterior. And the first shots of the librarian pushing the cart, mm-hmm. that is the main reading room of the New York Public Library. And they had permission to film there, but only for a short amount of time. They got to film from 5 in the morning to 10 in the morning. Oh, wow. And that's it. Wow. So within that five-hour span, they had to get everything lit and everything set, and the actors had to be on call and on cue, and they had to film it, and then they had to put everything back the way it was supposed to be in time for the New York Public Library's 10 a.m. opening. Wow. Talk about being under the gun. That's crazy. They did a a really cool marketing thing with this movie, too. Mm -hmm. They wanted to keep audiences engaged. And honestly, I remember when this movie was out, you didn't have a problem being engaged. This was like the biggest thing that year. Oh, God, yeah. Even if it wasn't the biggest movie box office-wise, I mean, I remember everybody was talking about I re- this movie. I remember the video, the shirts, the oh, merchandise, yeah. the posters, all that stuff. So one of the things that Ivan Reitman did was he created a, a, a commercial that was kind of like the commercial in the movie right. that we just talked about before, except they put an 800 number. A real phone number. A real phone a real number phone instead number. of the 555 number. And I actually remember having a shirt. It's long gone now. <laughs> right, right. But I had a shirt with the number. Wow. And you called the number and you got one of the Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. a recording saying, hey, you know, we're not around right now. We're out catching ghosts. Leave right. your message or whatever. And how many calls did they get? A thousand per hour, 24 hours a day for six weeks. So I mean, talk before about, the Internet, like that's how that's how a movie went viral. Exactly. Stuff like that. Exactly. You know, you didn't have Twitter. You didn't have right. Facebook. Right. Instagram, all that. So yeah. it's, it's genius. Really, yeah. Genius. That's one of the things I think we, we always talk about when we talk about older movies, how they really had to use their brains yeah. and come up with stuff. Yeah. One of the things about the new movie that's pretty cool is obviously the special effects are, are crazy good. I'll give the reboot that much. Yeah. It's a stunning looking movie. Yeah, it's a it's great looking film. Really cool. And there's a couple of you know cool gags with, with the ghosts. But sure. this movie, when you watch it now, the special effects are like the only thing that don't hold up too well. Yeah. But they're not terrible. No, they're not. They're not terrible. The only thing to me that's really cheesy when you watch it now is the quote-unquote dog that's chasing Rick right, Moranis. Right, right. When, it, when it's not the up-close, full-scale puppet right. of the terror dog, right. and it has to run and chase right. people. Yeah. yeah, it's obviously yeah, fake. Yeah, like, it looks yeah, like, uh, yeah. like Clash of the Titans kind of right, right, Harryhausen right, right. stuff. Right, right. 
which Ivan Reitman even admits. But he's like, you know, it was 1984. What, yeah. You know, what can you do? Today we could do it digitally. Yeah. Back then we, we did what was available for us to do. Let's talk a little bit about some of our favorite improvisations in the movie. Egon, this reminds me of the time you tried to drill a hole through your head. That would have worked, worked if you hadn't stopped, stopped me. me. <laughs> That line is is Harold Ramis's and uh, and Ramis's alone. I love him. I miss that guy. Yeah, you want and, to talk about a guy who was responsible for some of the funniest movies ever in oh. some in some capacity, whether it's as a writer, director, or star. I mean, even just or producer, even n- not even talking about what he went on to do after Ghostbusters, a very right. prolific career in Hollywood Absolutely. as actor, writer, director, and producer. But even the movies that he did leading up to Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. he co-wrote. Animal House. Right. right. He directed Caddyshack. Right. He co-wrote, co-produced, and co-starred in Stripes. Okay. With Bill Murray. Yep. And he, Ivan Reitman directed, Bill Murray starred, but Harold Ramis also worked on the script to Meatballs. Right. So, I mean, Harold Ramis had his bona fides right. by, by the time he and, got to right. Ghostbusters. Right, and that's, that's just before Ghostbusters. That's, that's before Ghostbusters. And then after, afterwards, of course, Groundhog Day. Yes. One of the most underrated Harold Ramis directed movies is to me a movie called Ice Harvest with John Cusack. Yeah, and uh, very dark comedy. Yes, a very dark comedy. And Billy Bob Thornton. Yes, absolutely right. I had the opportunity when I lived down in Virginia to see a film festival showing of that. Okay. And Harold Ramis was actually there. Oh wow! And I had a brief moment with him as we were leaving. He was kind of walking out by us, and and I said it was great. Loved it. No Love way. all your stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But kind of like your Ted Williams moment. Matt that, right. Uh, the Ted <laughs> I mean, Williams he acknowledged, moment. That we you know. Sure, sure. Yeah. But uh, everything I've heard, he was just like a super nice, humble, yeah, like down to earth guy. And, yeah, yeah, that was no, the vibe no I pretension. got. From him. Yeah. Totally. Speaking of uh, Ramus's improv line, that would have worked if you hadn't stopped me. Um, <laughs> that, that line was inspired by uh, an actual experiment. Really? Yes. Oh, An experiment proposed by a dolphin communications researcher named John Lilly, who proposed drilling a hole in his head to test some higher order brain function. Wow. The experiment, thankfully, never came to fruition, yeah. but his ad lib line about drilling a hole through his head, that's grounded in reality. Sad. As is the shock experiment that you see Venkman. Yeah. Doing on the uh, the two students, the yeah. infamous uh, Milgram shock experiment at Yale University in 1963. That's such a great scene. I love when he shocks the guy and the gum falls out of his mouth. The party scene where Lewis Tully, Rick Moranis, is mingling with his guests. He's talking about the price of the salmon, all that stuff. Hey, Ted and Ed. <laughs> yeah, that's a one continuous take, and it's uh, almost entirely improvised. Yes, as well. yeah. I, I love watching movies with these people that are rooted in all these different improvisation groups because right, right. they, they come up with so many great things. That's yeah. the one thing that, that's probably going to be cool about the release on DVD and Blu-ray of the new movie. I'm mm-hmm. sure there's going to be alternate takes of things. Right. And, I'd love to see what didn't make it into right. that, into the movie. We were talking about um, William Atherton before. <laughs> yeah. You can Mr. believe Mr. Pecker. My, My name, name is Peck. Peck. <laughs> so in 2010, he was being interviewed and he said that they use shaving cream. Pounds of shaving yes. cream. Ooh. The big scene in the end uh, after they save the day. Right. And, and they, they disintegrate up. the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Right. Still love that. <laughs> the giant mound of what's supposed to be marshmallow falls on top of Walter Peck, which, by right. the way, it's pretty easy to miss that that's him if you're not paying attention. Right. And it really is him. Yeah. It really is it him. It really is him. But originally, they were going to do more than what they dumped on him. Mm-hmm. So he said that they had an eighth grade science test. He he went under the bag and asked, how much shaving cream is in there? And they said, (laughs) not that much. So I said, well, how much does it weigh? 
It's about 75 pounds, but it's shaving cream. <laughs> What's heavier, 75 pounds of feathers or 75 pounds of shaving cream? Exactly. It's the same thing. So right. imagine somebody dropping 75 pounds of anything on you right, and right. what that would feel like. So they ended up using a stunt guy to test a lesser amount. Right. Knocked him flat, right? Knocked him, just knocked knocked him out. out. <laughs> yeah. So they obviously, uh, they did a little bit less than 75 Thank pounds. Thank goodness for that. It's pretty amazing, that yeah. scene. Everything about the end of this movie is so great. Oh, yeah. Despite the fact that they held up traffic in about uh, half of uh, New York City yeah. to film that scene. Yeah. They shot some stuff without permits, too, didn't they? The scenes where they're kind of running around and they're doing, uh, you, you see the magazine oh, okay. covers where it's like the, the Casey just, Kasem voiceover? Yeah, the Casey Kasem voiceover there where they're running around the city. The scene of the three Ghostbusters just kind of running towards us mm-hmm. down a street. I think that was the first thing they filmed. Okay. Bill Murray literally <laughs> got off a plane from France, came to the set. They dressed them up, and the very first thing they filmed was the three of them in full packs and uniforms awesome. running towards us, that scene. And if you look closely, when they're running through Rockefeller Center, mm-hmm. you see the the statue of Prometheus at mm-hmm. the ice rink behind them. Right. If you look closely, if it looks like they're being followed by someone, they are. <laughs> they're being followed by someone from Rockefeller Center telling them, hey, you're not allowed to film here. Nice. Yeah. That's legit. That's great. That's legit. That's so funny. <laughs> Casey, I love Casey Kasem's voiceover. Right. They uh, took care of that pesky poltergeist. <laughs> and then stayed to dance the night away with some of the lovely ladies who witnessed the disturbance. This is Casey Kasem. And now back to the countdown. And speaking of Casey Kasem, Casey Kasem's wife is the tall Amazon blonde at Lewis Tully's party. He says, Lewis, I'm going home. Well, maybe if we dance, and it, that's Casey Kasem's wife. Yep, Gene Kasem. So the firehouse used as the headquarters is actually two different firehouses in mm-hmm. two different cities. Right. Which right. I never realized. The exterior is in New York, the interior downtown Los Angeles. If I'm not mistaken, not just with the, the firehouse, I think most of the interiors were done in Los Angeles. But the L.A. firehouse is actually really popular with filmmakers, and it's been yeah. used in a lot of movies. In fact, the Jim Carrey film The Mask, they used it for the car mechanic. The mechanic garage. shop. Yeah. Right, 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 yeah. right, right. That's neat. If you look very closely, after the guy shuts down the power mm-hmm. for the for the protection grid yeah. and the firehouse blows, yeah. if you look outside as people are watching the <laughs> debris fly, right after Annie Potts says, uh, this is a sign, all right, yeah. we're going out of business, yeah. okay? Freeze it on the crowd, mm-hmm. look all the way to your left of the screen, and yes, folks, that is a young porn star, Ron Jeremy. <laughs> I noticed that. <laughs> So Ron funny. Jeremy in all his, uh, you know, curly fro porn stash glory. That is, yes, Ron Jeremy. He is, however, wearing clothes <laughs> in that scene. Well, like we Thank said God. earlier, this is a PG movie. Yes, yes. So let's talk about some of the great lines in this movie. I love when they first walk into the hotel in the beginning and they're getting ready to get on the elevator. The old man, what are you supposed to be? <laughs> some sort of cosmonaut? Some kind of a cosmonaut? No, we're exterminators. <laughs> Somebody saw a roach on the whole floor. <laughs> That's got to be some cockroach. <laughs> Bite your head off, man. (laughs) (laughs) And then when they're in the elevator. Right, right. When Bill Murray says, what's to worry about? Each of us is wearing an unlicensed unlicensed nuclear accelerator on his back. (laughs) What could go wrong? We should have had a full test of this equipment before we used it. And Ackroyd says something like, "Uh, I blame myself. And then Murray goes, so do I. (laughs) (laughs) Ugly little spud, isn't he? (laughs) I think he can hear you, Ray. Ah! <laughs> He's slimy. That's great. Actual physical contact. I feel so funky. <laughs> Slimer is the name that people gave him. Right. But Slimer is not Slimer's real name. 
Right. What is Slimer's real name? Onion Head? Onion Head, yes. Ding, 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 ding. So a little bit of trivia for you. Slimer is really Onion Head. Yeah. Slimer was just a name, like you said, that kind of stuck, and then it became uh, associated with the cartoon version of Ghostbusters, right? Right, 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 right. And then, of course, you know, you can't talk about Ghostbusters without talking about all the promotional (laughs) tie-ins, like High C Ecto Cooler. Ecto Cooler. Which, by the way- Which made a comeback. Yes. Which made a comeback for the new movie. One of the most disgusting things we've seen recently in the supermarket is Twinkies with yeah. green cream in yeah, them. Get, it's like key lime cream. Yeah, none, uh, f- I none for me, thanks. There's nothing even remotely appetizing <laughs> it does about not, that. It Twinkies, does not appeal to that. Twinkies are not th- that great to begin with, but I have to say every time I watch Zombieland, I want a Twinkie. <laughs> 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 and there's a great Ghostbusters connection to that movie, yeah, too. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Sigourney Weaver's part. The effect that they use where she's floating above the covers. Right, she levitates and then she's like, Turns full 180. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff now is probably real easy to do digitally, I would think. Right. Uh, but they actually did a physical effect, not an optical effect for that. Yeah, that Ivan Reitman had mastered because he he directed... Remember the uh, magician with the long hair and the mustache, Doug Henning? Yes. Remember Doug Henning? Yes, I do. Doug Henning, <laughs> I think, had a, had a Broadway show called, I don't know... Merlin okay. <laughs> or Wizard or something like that that Ivan Reitman was involved in. That's and so cool. Doug Henning did a similar trick in that show, which is where Ivan Reitman got the idea to do that with Sigourney Weaver in Ghostbusters. She was put in a full body cast and then attached to a post that was hidden in the curtains. I heard Ivan Reitman say once that they had to completely reshoot that scene because when they initially shot it, the way that the room was lit... It cast a shadow on the rod that was holding Sigourney Weaver. Oh, wow. So you could see it as a shadow on the wall. Okay. And they realized that. No, no, no. We have to completely relight the room to avoid that shadow so that the illusion works. (laughs) Just thinking of the whole scene. (laughs) (laughs) There is no Dana, only Zool. Which, by the way, is Ivan Reitman. But I like how he says, oh, you must have a lovely singing voice. a lovely singing voice you must have. (laughs) I want you inside me. Oh, it sounds like you already got uh, at, le- at least two people in there yeah. already. <laughs> <laughs> and then when she climbs on top of him, well, I, I have a rule not to get it. Well, it's more of a guideline. More of a guideline than a rule. <laughs> so uh, we talked earlier about some of the original people that were supposed to be in this movie. Let's talk about that. Um, uh, a lot of the people that I speak to who listen to the podcast, one of the things they like is when we talk about mm-hmm. who else was up for the role yeah. and whether or not they could picture these people in the role. Yeah, I mean, and we always come up with the same conclusion that the movie would never be the same. Yeah, we also we, we say the same thing. It's always interesting to hear some of the people that were considered. Sometimes you go, what? Yeah, what you the know? hell were they thinking? So Michael Keaton turned down both the roles of Dr. Venkman and Spengler. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I could almost see him in either of those roles because he's so good at sarcasm and witty kind of- Yeah. I could even see him as Ray Stance. I think he's very underrated, Michael Keaton. Loves me some Michael Keaton. Yeah. Always have. He's very, very good. Chevy Chase also turned down the role of Venkman. Okay. Again, he probably could have pulled that off because one of the things that's so great about that character is Bill Murray's sarcasm and his very dry sort of, you know, wit- Yeah, Chase could have done that. Yeah, Chevy Chase is pretty good at that humor, too. He actually turned it down because the the original script was kind of darker and scarier, and he didn't feel like he'd be good for that. Okay. And Steve Gutenberg turned down the role of Venkman to star in Police Academy, which I think is very interesting. Put you on the spot. What's his character's name in Police Academy? Carrie Mahoney. Oh! (laughs) The kid brings his A game. Well done. (laughs) Nicely done. 
That's talk about a dumb movie, but it's so good. <laughs> I love the first that's, Police that's Academy. A classic. That man. might be maybe like you know dis- discussion for another podcast. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. I like the first Police Academy. So Christopher Walken, John Lithgow, Christopher Lloyd, and Jeff Goldblum were all considered for the role of Egon. Okay. And by the way, according to Harold Ramis, the name Egon Spengler is a composite of two people. He went to high school with a foreign exchange student named Egon. Okay. And Spengler comes from historian Oswald Spengler. Nice, nice. So a nice uh, little tribute to those people. Very cool. And there's a nice little nod to him in the new Ghostbusters. Yes, there cool. is. You know, blink and you might miss it, yes. but there's there's a nod to him there. We both caught it. You actually turned to me in the theater and went, see that? Yeah, and said, yeah, yep. yeah. <laughs> and it's actually cool because they in the credits, too, and this is not ruining anything for anybody, right, but they right. say for Harold Ramis. For, right, right, nice for Harold Ramis, yeah, very cool. How great is the whole Stay Puff Marshmallow Man thing? <laughs> <laughs> and, by the way, these are things to look for as you're watching the movie. There's actually at least two references to Stay Puff Marshmallows before you ever see the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Right. Man. Sigourney Weaver, Dana Barrett, she pulls a bag of Stay Puffed Marshmallows out mm-hmm. of her grocery bag, and they're there on the counter as the eggs are frying. Right, when they start cooking themselves. Yeah, and you also see, I think, after they shut down the containment system and the firehouse blows and the spirits are kind of going all through the city, there's an ad for Stay Puffed yep. Marshmallows on the side of a building yep. or something like yep. that. Yeah. The whole idea that oh, I never thought anything that, that was such a great part of my childhood yeah. could destroy me. Yep. I was listening to the commentary on the DVD, and Ivan Reitman said, it was probably the thing that scared him the most. Really? When they got to the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Mm-hmm. Because they had gone to really great lengths to try and ground Ghostbusters at the beginning of the movie in reality <laughs> so that when they left reality, you would willingly go and right. get sucked into it and believe it. And he said, I assumed you were going to have trouble uh, with people believing the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. <laughs> So we were at a test screening, and we're all kind of holding our breath because we know the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man is coming. <laughs> and the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man comes, and he said the people at the test screening just lost it and went with it and loved oh. it. And that's when he kind of turned to the person next to him and goes, oh, we got a hit. Oh, that's This huge. is going to work. He's a sailor. He's in New York. We get this guy laid. We won't have any trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's the best thing about it? Initially, when he first appears... And he's just kind of walking. He's lumbering along. Right. He's got that goofy Stay Puft right, Marshmallow Man smile right, on his face. And right. he doesn't even look like he's going to harm anything. No. And like, uh, <laughs> and, and Ray Stance even says, uh, we, we used to roast Stay Puft Marshmallows by the fire at Camp Wakanda. <laughs> and he's got this look on his face. He's just so disappointed that it's Mr. Stay Puft. <laughs> and that's a real camp, by the way, uh, near Peoria, Illinois. That's right. It is absolutely a real camp. Yeah. It's an old Native American name, meaning appropriately enough, Spirit Water. Really? Wakanda. I did not know that. The Stay Puff Marshmallow Man suits cost approximately $20,000 a piece. Ah, pittance. Three were made and all were destroyed during filming. So if you're thinking that you're going to be one of those Hollywood treasure types that goes and tries to find one of the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man things. Uh-uh, ain't happening. Not going to happen. Let's talk about Gozer. Gozer the Gozerian. Yes. It seems that the Goz has been putting the moves on my would-be girlfriend. <laughs> That's right. So the rooftop confrontation scene between Gozer and the Ghostbusters mm-hmm. occupied an entire soundstage. It required 50,000 amps of electricity to be properly lit. It used so much power that Columbia Pictures had to shut down other stages while they were filming the scene. As long as we're talking about Gozer and mm-hmm. the Keymaster and Gatekeeper, right. it's kind of funny that prior to Lewis Tully becoming Vince, the Keymaster... Vince Clortho, Keymaster yeah. of Gozer. Yeah. He locks himself out of his apartment, I think, three times? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. a great bit of irony there. That's good stuff. That's awesome. So Gozer was originally going to be played by Paul Rubens. Yes, that's right. Pee-wee Herman. 
I am Gozer the Gozerian. <laughs> I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> <laughs> he turned down the role. In the original script, Gozer took on the form of Evo Shandor, the ghost building's architect. As Egon Spengler says in the movie, yes. performed a lot of unnecessary surgery. Yes. <laughs> So they wanted the character to look more interesting, so they went with the David Bowie meets Grace Jones look yeah. that, that's in the movie. Grace Jones was actually considered for the role, even. But at that point, I don't think they wanted to push the budget any further. Right. And Grace Jones was, you know, kind of a name. Right. And she was known and she was popular. I forget the name of the woman who plays Gozer, but she was a, a Yugoslavian model. Yeah. She had a really thick accent. When she was saying some of the lines, it it's actually sounded funny, right. which they weren't going for at that point. So in post-production, they had to give Gozer a new voice. It was provided by Patty Edwards, who also worked on some Disney stuff, uh, including voicing Flotsam and Jetsam in the Little Mermaid animated film. The name Gozer actually comes from a documented haunting in New England. In fact, the same haunting that the movie Poltergeist was based on. A real haunting in New England where, like, the name Gozer would just appear written on... uh, Walls so and Gozer, objects and things. Gozer's a real thing then? I don't know if Gozer was a real thing, but Gozer, the name, really comes from an actual documented haunting. Very cool. This is stuff that Dan Aykroyd is very into. Oh, okay. And, you know, he co-wrote the script with Harold Ramis. Right, so that um, makes sense. Dan then. Aykroyd, ever since he was a little boy, super into the paranormal and supernatural. Mm-hmm. He's a big believer in all that stuff. When he talks about all the paranormal stuff in the script, you could see the conviction. You yeah. could see how legitimately excited he is to talk about that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Of the four Ghostbusters, right. he is the original from the start, the big believer in all of that stuff. Right. This is it. This is definitely it. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, we should say that there is an Easter egg at the end of the new Ghostbusters movie, too. If you go see it, stay till the very, very end of the credits. We will not spoil it for you. Right. We're not going to tell you what it is, but stay to the very, very end. The special effect in the library where the card catalog drawers... Remember those kids? <laughs> kids, before Google, you had to go to the library and look up stuff with the Dewey Decimal System. Ooh. Ooh yeah, you go in the card catalog and that's how you found your book, right? So Books? Uh, what are those? What are those? Yeah. The special effect in the library where the card catalog drawers open and the cards fly out. Right. That was done by prop workers hidden behind part of the set. They were pushing the drawers out and the cards were being blown out with copper piping, <laughs> which I think is very cool. Just air being blown through copper piping to very see Very high pressure flying. air, yeah. Very cool. <laughs> uh, a lot of that stuff in the library, those, those aren't, uh, you know, special, special effects. They're live right there, yeah. special effects. The, the cards being blown, the wall falling down. When she's walking down the aisle of books, you just see two or three books just kind of float by. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. On shelves. It's all like wires and shit. Yeah, pretty yeah. much just books on wires. That's great. But but it works. Yeah. It's it's really cool. It's part of the charm of the original. And I love I the, the ghost looks really, really cool. Yeah. You know, and, and the whole, you know, come here, Francine. Hi, I'm Peter. Where are you from originally? <laughs> <laughs> All right, ready? Get her. Get her. Ah! Get her. That was your plan. Get her. (laughs) There's actually a scarier and more horrific version of that ghost that they first encounter. But again, in order to to kind of tone down the, the horror content of the movie, they decided to go with the version that you see in the final cut. But the scarier version of that ghost, you can see that version in another Columbia Pictures movie. 1985's horror classic Fright Night. You know, that's something that we've talked about on the podcast before. If not you and I specifically, I know for a fact when I've done podcasts with Sue, we've talked about things that have been recycled. Right. 
uh, through different movies. I think in, in the Independence Day podcast, we talked about how the Oval Office was used in The American President or something like that. Okay. Cool. So there's always stuff that gets recycled in different movies. Sure. Which is pretty cool. It's neat. Neat to make those connections. The Ectomobile, Ecto-1, the Ghostbusters yeah, yeah, first. Yeah, Ecto-1. <laughs> sound designer Richard Beggs created the siren sound by altering the pitch, processing, and editing the sound of a leopard snarl. Wow. Which I think is very cool. That's pretty cool, man. So we talked about the, uh, the firehouse earlier mm-hmm. in the podcast. There's a scene where Bill Murray's standing outside and they're hanging the sign that says Ghostbusters outside the firehouse. You don't mm-hmm. think that's too small, right? You don't think mm-hmm. people won't drive by and won't mm-hmm. see see the sign. Mm-hmm. Three or four weeks into the production of Ghostbusters, Columbia Pictures still had not secured the rights to the name Ghostbusters. Oh, wow. So they didn't find out until uh, weeks into production of the film that they were going to be able to use the name Ghostbusters in the film. Wow. That could have been a disaster. So they had standby names at the ready just in case. Okay. This movie could have been called Ghost Smashers. Okay. Or Ghost Stoppers. Now, at one point, they're filming the uh, the climactic scene outside Dana Barrett's apartment, and you know they have just like hundreds of New York City extras out there. Mm-hmm. And before the guys go into the building, after the, the kind of the earthquake breaks the street apart, mm-hmm. yep. the guys get up and everybody's going, Ghostbusters, 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 Ghostbusters. I think one of the executive producers went to a telephone booth. Remember those? Yes. Went to a telephone booth on the corner, called up Columbia Pictures, held the phone out so that the executive on the other end could hear 400 New York City extras chanting Ghostbusters. He gets back on the phone and says, you guys better get the rights to this name. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. You guys got to get the rights to the name Ghostbusters. Listen to that crowd. Can you imagine? They could have been royally screwed. Oh, man. Such a great movie. Yeah. This one never gets old for me. Never. 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 Every time I watch it, it's still just as fun for me. I guess, again, because it kind of transports you back to that time in your life a little sure. bit. And it's just a great movie. It's well written, well, yeah, it well acted. It it's is. fun. Did, did you see it in the theaters in 84? Of course. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Everybody went to see this. It was, it was the movie that you had to, if you couldn't get into Beverly Hills Cop. Right. And I couldn't, because I think I was in seventh grade at the time. Yeah. You saw Ghostbusters. This was the perfect movie to go to with your friends back then. Hopefully, those of you listening, you can hear how excited we are to talk about this movie. Right. And how much fun this is for us. Because if you were here in the studio watching us record this podcast, we're smiling a lot. Oh, absolutely. We're we're smiling and laughing (laughs) a lot. I I love this movie. Yeah, because we're thinking about all the great stuff in it. Yeah, so much great stuff. Well, thanks for coming in and for doing the podcast. I always appreciate it, man. I I love doing this with you. It's, It's always a blast. As do I. Always a great time, brother. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. You can like us on Facebook.com slash Screen Facts. Let us know what your favorite scene is in this movie and let us know if you go see the new Ghostbusters. You can comment on the post that I'm going to put up on Facebook or you can email screenfacts at yahoo.com. Let me know what you think. I'm at Jason Davis Voice on Twitter as well. Please help others find the show by rating and commenting on iTunes. Thanks to all of you who have done that. I really appreciate it. You can also show your support for the show by ordering Screen Facts merchandise on the podcast page of jasondavisvoice.com, including... The brand new car magnets. That's I right. I got two of them on my car, baby. Yeah, boy. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, of if course. you want to help people discover the podcast, that's a great way to do it by slapping a magnet on the back of your car, baby. Slap it. Yeah. 
Show theme music by Audionautics.com. Thanks to WickedRadioNetwork.com and our announcer, Kim McKay from Kim'sVoice.com. Screen Facts with Jason Davis is a production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Visit JasonDavisVoice.com if you need a voice for a commercial, narration, promo, internet video, e-learning or training program, and more. Click on the podcast page to get information about where you can download and listen to past episodes. Listen again next Wednesday for a new episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis.